Well, good morning, guys. This is our uh, our last session together this morning for this weekend, and I hope that you guys have had a really good time this weekend. I hope it's been uh, refreshing for you, encouraging for you, um, and uh, you're ready to get fired up and charged out, head back to our, our wives, our families, our jobs, uh, to our church. Would you please pray with me now? Father, we, this morning, we, we need you. We need you every morning of every day. Lord, we need you right now as we open your word to illuminate your word to us, to help us, Lord, to understand it. And I need your help, Lord, this morning, because this is a really hard message. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help me. We just thank you, Lord, for your sufficiency. You are enough for us. And, Lord, we love you. We love you with our whole heart. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be the man that, that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is our, as I said, this is our last session together. And the title for today's message is Five Powerful Principles for Biblical Manhood in the Local Church. And in typical fashion, if you've been in my Bible study, you know that uh, sometimes I do one verse or even two verses or even three verses. Um, I've been known to do one verse in Bible study. And, and today we have two verses, two verses. And these verses are 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. And let's, before we get started, actually let me just read this and then I'll say that. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. First, no problem. First Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And it's important before we lay out these imperatives to, for me to explain to you what an indicative and imperative is. When we see an indicative in, in the Bible, what we see, for example, is in, in Romans 5, it says, But God demonstrates his love. You know, and that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So when we when we see an indicative in the in the New Testament, we are seeing what we are we're reading about what Christ has accomplished for us, what Christ has done. So when we talk about an imperative, what we're talking about is is things God demands of us, things that He requires that we do in our lives. And so in these two verses, Paul lays out five imperatives and. Uh, they are powerful. The ones that we're going to look at here today are five power principles for powerful Christian living. Of all the churches that Paul wrote to, none were as messed up or had as many issues as the Corinthian church. Um, there was none as sinful as them. They were not a healthy church, to, to, to put it mildly. That, that's putting it, I think, as nicely as, as you can say. They were, they were in real, real trouble. They had lots and lots of problems. In fact, they were in more trouble than any other New Testament church. It's been, it, because it's been rebuked so often, no church is as rebuked as this. But it's an evidence of love. Paul loved this church. And so he rebuked them because that's what love does. It, it rebukes out of love, not to beat down out of love. It rebukes when sin is visible. In fact, there's 29 chapters that are written to the Corinthians. That's more than the Gospel of Matthew, and it's more than Acts, both of which have 28 chapters. There, there was that much of a mess in Corinth. I don't know about you, but I don't want 29 chapters where the Holy Spirit is addressing me. No thanks. No. Um, 
course, now we have 66 books that address us, so ouch. Um, This book is loaded with rebuke, you see, but it's also loaded with love. And it's love that calls us to righteousness. It's love that rebukes. It's love that says, here is the way, walk in it. In 1 Corinthians 4.14 it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So this wasn't written to shame them, that is to beat them down with a club. It was written to exhort them to holy and righteous living so that they would inherit the blessing of God. And you see, 1 Corinthians is a love letter. This is a love letter. Paul loves these people. He wants to address their questions. He wants them to not only have righteous doctrine, sound doctrine, but righteous living. He wants them to live rightly. In fact, the whole book kind of peeks out in, in 1 Corinthians 13. So Paul, yeah, he's rebuked them, but he's done it because he loves them. Fourteen chapters in this first epistle to straighten out their errant behavior. One chapter to deal with their false doctrine. And now we're at chapter 16, and he has some final things to say. And among those things is these uh, two verses. And as I've said, these are five imperatives. In fact, they're imperatives in the Greek. And imperatives, as I said, are commands. They are demands of the Holy Spirit on us. Paul is giving the positive side here of all the negative, all the negative things that he's already said in these two verses. He's saying, so what he's saying is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and don't do that. This is, these are the things that we are now to do, that he wants the Corinthians church to do. And if they will do them, the whole entire church will change. It'll change our lives. They are that powerful for us. And he gets five military commands. How many of you guys were in the military? Just, just raise your hand. So you know, when your jail sergeant barks out an order, yes, sir, how high, how far, uh, how long do you want me to run? So he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And if the Corinthians had done these things, everything would have changed. Everything would have changed. The first thing is be alert. And the word here is watch. The word watch or alert is used 22 times in the New Testament. And it's always used in reference to the Christian. You see, the Christian life is a life of alertness. The Christian life is a life of alertness. We've got to be alert. We've got to stand fast. We've got to be awake. We have to not be in a, in a state of a super. We have to have our senses acute to what's going on, to evaluate, to be aware of what's going on and of our adversary, what our adversary is doing. You can't live the Christian life, Paul is saying, in a state of a super. You've got to be alert. And let's just be honest. This is the problem with the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, he says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. They were in a state of physical drunkenness, but Paul isn't addressing just that. He has, he has a larger goal in mind. He wants to address their spiritual issues, their spiritual stupor. They were not alert. And let's just say this. That's a dangerous, dangerous place. That, that is what I call the danger zone. If you're not alert... You are in the danger zone. And so this, this sermon, this message today is, is a warning for us, a warning for us. We, we've, the New Testament has a lot to say 
about what we're to watch for. The Bible says we're to watch out for Satan. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And who is the person that Satan is going to devour? It's the person that's not watching, the person who's not alert, the person who's in a state of stupor. You need to be alert to the wily, crafty subtleties of Satan. You need to understand how he operates. You need to know that he's like a football coach. He's only, but he's only got three plays. And that ought to be simple enough to defend, right? They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He comes in these three waves all the time. We ought to learn his strategies. We ought to be aware. We ought to be alert. And let's be clear, he's looking for the man who is indifferent, who isn't alert, who isn't standing, who isn't prepared. Watch out for Satan. He is our foe. But he's also a vanquished foe. He just doesn't know it yet. Secondly, watch out for Satan, or watch out for temptation. Excuse me. Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed, indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You better be alert to temptation. You better be alert to what's happening around you. You can't be apathetic about it. You can't just sit idly by and be passive as I talked to you, as I pled with you last night. Don't be passive. Our culture is telling you to be passive, to sit, come home, check out, sit on the couch, and don't love your, don't love your wife. Don't love your kids. Don't love your neighbors. And as I've tried to say here this weekend, Part of loving God is, is loving your, your neighbor. You can't say you love God and don't love your neighbor. That's what I've tried to say this weekend. Don't be idle. Watch. Keep your eyes open. Be alert. And this leads to the third and the fourth things the New Testament talks about, which is apathy and indifference. And the church at Sardis in Revelation 3 says this. Jesus says this to the church. You have a name that you live, but you're dead Watch, watch and strengthen the things that remain. And the first thing I want to say is the Lord comes against those in love because he loves us. He, he chastises the indifferent and the apathetic Christian. He doesn't come to beat them up. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is not a condemnation issue. This is a corrective issue for us. This is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit towards us is, is to is to convict us, to help us to walk with him. So the Lord will come in chastising against an apathetic and indifferent Christian who doesn't deal with his sins, doesn't deal with his weakness, doesn't deal with the stuff in his life. See, God will chastise you, and he chastises you because he's a loving God. But he chastises you into proper behavior so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the calling, as Paul says in Ephesians, that you've received through Christ so that he can pour out all the blessings that he has for you in Christ. So apathy is another thing to watch for. Look at your life. When you get comf- so comfortable with what's going on in your life, with, with your sin, and you're no longer trying to face it, no longer trying to deal with it, you're in the danger zone. You have to watch for that. You have to fight against that. You see, we're supposed to rest in Christ because of who we are in Christ. We're to strive after holiness we rest in Christ. We rest in who we are in Him. And then we strive for holiness. We, we get to feast on the Bible. We get to enjoy communion with God in, in prayer. 
We come to church on Sunday to grow more, to enjoy one another, to, as I said, one another each other. Fifth, the Bible tells us to watch in prayer. And Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7 says, watch in prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, Paul says, praying with all prayer and supplication thereunto all perseverance. We are to watch. You can't pray if you don't know what's going on. The Corinthians blew it. They were not alert, and they were prayerless. They were victimized by temptation. They were victimized by Satan. They were victimized by apathy and indifference. They were victimized by false teachers. They were victimized by prayerlessness, and they were not ready for the Lord's return. In fact, they were even denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, look, you can turn this all around in a, in a snap of your fingers. Just be alert. Just wake up. That'll solve the problem. Be alert. See, all the warnings that we have are in the Word of God. This is why we have to be in it. I know I've said that over and over again. I feel like I'm repeating myself. Open your Bible. We, we have an epidemic in the American, North American church today. It's called biblical illiteracy, and it's a massive problem. That's why you need to open your Bible. That's why we just did this issue of Theology for Life on hermeneutics, the art and skill of biblical interpretation. I know I've, I've I mentioned it over and over again. But the reason is, it's because this is, this is a problem. We have, as men, we need to open our Bibles daily. Read it. Study it. Learn how to study it. Meditate on it. If you don't know how, ask. Be honest. The, the best thing that you can do is just to say, I don't know. I don't know, that, I don't know how to do this. That, that requires eating a whole humble pie. But it shows that you're ready to grow. You want to grow. Grow. Let's grow. So that's why we have to be in the Bible. We have to be in it because it's there that we learn God's master plan, his, his story, his story, and how our story fits within that story. We learn about that in the Word of God. That, that's this story from Genesis to Revelation, the story of a, of a Savior who would come and bleed and die in our place and for our sin and do all that he did for us. And see, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for instruction, in righteousness to make you perfect, to be mature. Get in the Word, and, and as you're in the Word, the Word will give you a, what uh, the uh, well-known, prominent theologian in the late 20th century, Carl Henry, he said that the biblical worldview is, is first and foremost a life view. That means it changes our lives. It helps us to see through, through the, the world, through the angle, the lens through which God wants us to see. And also, I wish that we had brought more of these up. That's my fault. Um, I was supposed to remind Pastor Mike, and I forgot. So if you have an armor, we're going to have, normally if you don't have your armor of God coin, you have to buy a guy uh, coffee or a soda. But today, guess what? There's grace today. So... After today, you're, you're all on your own, and you're going to owe somebody a coffee and a soda. So if you have your Armor of God coin. So this, as Pastor Mike was just saying, this is a ministry of our, of our church. It's free. Uh, we do take uh, donations, but they're not required. Um, so if you would like to do that, you can talk to Pastor Mike. And what we're talking about here today is the reason why, um, why the Armor of God coin exists, to be alert, to be alert. Um, to be alert. And the second point here today is to be to be firm. Be alert and now be firm. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 
16, 13, stand firm in the faith. This is not like a faith as in some private thing, as in some spiritual thing. This faith is the faith, the contents of God's revelation, the Bible. So we're supposed to stand fast in the gospel, to stand firm in the faith. The faith, Jude says, is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The faith, biblical Christianity, which comes from the word of God. Stand fast in the faith. Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to the gospel. That's what he's saying. And so this faith ought not to be confused with some spiritual commodity. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. You see, we need to hold fast to the faith because what Satan wants to do is to wrestle our faith against, uh, away from us. He wants to take us away from the truth, the content of the truth, the word of God. And that's why we're supposed to stand fast. In fact, that's what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 15. He reminds them of the gospel, and he tells them there to stand fast. Stand fast in the gospel that has been preached to them, and that's an ongoing thing. And we only do that because the Holy Spirit has so captured our hearts, has so wooed us and drawn us to him, and he enables us to stand. And as John Piper said, we would not be a Christian for one second without this work of the Spirit without this work of the Spirit, because so powerful is God, He will not let that rope break. He, he upholds it with His righteous hands. He will not let us falter. He will never let us go. In fact, that's what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 8.31. We are more than conquerors through Christ. He will never let us go. Great is His faithfulness. And the Bible tells us to be firm. We are to stand firm. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, The gospel is that by which we've been called to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or by epistle. You see, we are to stand fast in the word. That's apostolic doctrine. And by the way, all doctrine, that's what it comes from. It comes from the word of God. We are to hold fast to the word. If you're going to be alert in the Christian life, if you're going to have a life view, if you're going to have a biblical world view, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be in the Word to stay alert. And so the key to being alert, the key to being firm, is to be in the Word. In Philippians 4.1 it says, Be firm in your devotion to Christ. Ephesians 6 tells us to be strong in the Lord, for we wrestle not against the flesh and blood. And having done all, stand against Satan. And so we're supposed to be firm in our devotion to Christ. We're to be firm in our unity. We're to be firm in liberty, be firm in the will of God, be firm against Satan, solid, standing, not blown about by every wind of doctrine, not by seduce, nor by seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So the third thing is act like men. This is what Paul says here. The third military command. Watch, stand fur fast in the faith, act like men. Act like men. So last night we talked about being mature. And this is what Paul says. This is what a man does. He acts mature. And it's an interesting word here that Paul uses because it's only used here in this passage in the New Testament. And it carries the idea of being of good courage. But it also has the idea of, while it has the idea of courage, it also has the idea of maturity. So the maturity element is important because the courage part follows with it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Paul says, 
that he had again had to deal with the Corinthians so many times on this, but he says in this passage, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Be mature. Grow up. Stop acting like infants, like, like babies. Grow up. And he uses this again and again and again. You'll see that in my notes that you're going to get. And by the way, I forgot the note to give you the notes last night. So you'll get last night's notes this morning and this morning's notes. But they were, they were babies. They were not men in their understanding. They were not men of courage. They were not men in maturity. They were babies. They were fighting. They were squabbling. They were flopping about from every false doctrine one to another so they could not defend themselves against Satan. And this is why we have to be in the word of the Lord, the word of God, to feast on it, to enjoy it, be strong. And this is the only passive verb here, be strong. Paul's not saying that we can do this by ourselves. Uh, that's, that's something that the Lord has to do. In Ephesians 6.10 it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, it's a strong spirit that overcomes the flesh. And you know, <laughs> let me be honest right now, I, I feel very weak. But the, the truth is when we're weak, that's when we're strong. It's counterintuitive, and this is what the gospel does. This is why the gospel is countercultural and counterintuitive. Because it, our, our world says, be strong. Well, they mean by that, have a six-pack and be, have, be ripped and be that, you know, be the Iron Man. Be Superman. And God says, be, be weak. In, my, in your weakness, you are strong. And this is what the gospel does. It continues to humble us so that we will be weak. And so that when we're weak, God is being made strong. He's being made much of through our weakness. And the Corinthians, they thought they were superheroes. They thought they were Superman, even though they didn't have Superman. They would have thought today they were Iron Man. But they didn't have it all together. They weren't strong at all. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord against Satan. Philippians 4.13 tells us to be strong in service when it says, I can do all things, not through myself, but through Christ who strengthens me. Colossians 1.10-11 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience and joy. See, this is, a, this is a passive thing. It comes, what I mean is it comes from another source. It comes from the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. And who of us likes to wait for anything? Um, not me. I don't, even like to, I don't even like to wait in the line for, in the drive-thru. So, wow, wait on the Lord. Uh, Yikes, ouch, painful, um, Lord help, <laughs> lots. But who helps us to wait? Well, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians 6.3.16 says, We are strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man. So as you yield to the work of the Spirit, as you as you submit your whole life to the lordship of Christ, you will grow. And this is what real men do. They, they bow their knee in allegiance to the lordship of Christ. That's what a real man does. Because they know that real strength is from God by his spirit. 
And Ephesians 3.16 says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So if you'll just get in the word and yield to the spirit. You'll be alert. You'll be firm. You'll be mature. You'll be strengthened. These are ongoing things that you are to grow in. This isn't, again, something that you're going to snap your fingers and suddenly become. This is going to take time. The next thing is love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all that you do be done in love. And this is the last point that I have before we have some very strong, concrete application. And this is so important, love is, because it balances off every single thing that Paul has said. If we, if we just had the four commands snapped out to us, we would be a real, we would be a crusty and militant in the world. And so he says, let all that you do be done in love. And here we are. We've got our marching orders. Are we ready, soldiers? We've even got our armor of God coins. We're firmed up. We're ready for battle. We're suited up for war. We've had these commands snapped to us like a drill sergeant. Would marshal the troops for battle. And we've been told how to fight. And now Paul says, now, by the way, here's the attitude I want you to have. I want you to be loving, loving. And that's softening, isn't it? Unretreating courage, unfailing love, they work together. Too much love and not enough standing, and you're going to wash away in sentimentalism. You're going to be more focused on your feelings than on the truth. You've got to have love, and you've got to have sound doctrine that comes from the Word of God. And we see this again and again in the New Testament, sound doctrine and love. By love, we simply mean self-sacrificing service for people in need. That's it, self-sacrificing self-sacrificing service to the one in need. Not emotion, not a feeling, but an act of love, an act of service rooted and grounded in sound doctrine. With It, it compels us to do love and good deeds. It spurs us on. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, 35, this is how the world would know us. If we have love for one another, that is the most powerful testimony. People want to be loved. And we have been loved supremely by Christ. In fact, as I've said multiple times throughout this weekend, we are as loved and as accepted by God as we can possibly be. And that ought to compel us to love, to care for other people. So we've got two things he says to the Corinthians. You want to straighten out your church, sound doctrine, and love. They are the twin pillars upon which the church stands. If we don't have sound doctrine, we don't have anything to say. If we just have love but don't have content to, that, that provides a reason for that, we don't have Christianity. We have something else. But we have sound doctrine. We have something to say. We have a content in the message of the gospel to share. And we are to, Paul says, do, speak, the, speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15. So the first three points that I made in this message come through the word. And the fourth one comes through the spirit. Ephesians three sixteen through 17 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And remember, in Galatians five twenty two through 23, love is a fruit of the spirit. Love is from the spirit. So you've got to have the spirit and the word working together to provide sound doctrine and love to make the church, to make the individual believer what God wants. So be affirmed, be alert, be mature, be strengthened, be loving. These are principles for a powerful 
Christian life. They are generated by the Word and by the Spirit. They come together to make sound doctrine and love. They are the twin pillars that hold up the church. So I promised you that there would be some even more concrete and serious application. And so as we wrap up this weekend, here it comes. I hope you're ready for the fire hose because you're about to get it. <sighs> Throughout this weekend, I've challenged you to be a man of God in the local church. We've considered what it means to be priest in the home and in the church. We consider what it means to live godly lives in a community. And we've also considered what it means to be a man of God in private, in the home, and in the church. You see, as men, we desperately need one another. And I want you to leave this weekend not only resolve to commit your entire life to God's grace, I want you to do that each and every day. I want you to resolve right now in your heart that you are going to stop sitting idly by and let whatever happen may happen when it comes to ministry and life in our church, even in your own marriages, in every area of your life. Remember that Corinthians, they were, self, they were self-serving, and that's, that's not loving. And because of the love of God, we are to serve one another because we are the recipients of such a great love from Jesus. And I also want to challenge you to find another man. Find another man here. Build a friendship with them. Take the principles that you've learned here this weekend, even if they're a reminder, that's okay. And this message in this weekend, apply them to your own life. And then teach other men to do likewise. Bring a man to our events. And you can learn about our events as they come out in the bulletin or on our website or in the church newsletter. You can talk to about our events to Brian Putman, Pastor Mike, uh, Mark Bitterly, Mike Bowman, Vern Hickman, who is our elder liaison. If you're here this weekend and you feel inadequate for and overwhelmed by this task that we've been talking about here this weekend, can I just say this? Welcome to the club, friend. I've been a member for a long time, and you're welcome to, to join this club. You see, ministry is not a right, it's a privilege. We have been called by the Lord of the universe and the Lord of the harvest by his grace through his spirit to make and mature and multiply disciples that make and mature and multiply disciples. So if you feel inadequate, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Don't run away from it. It means God by his spirit is tenderizing you, showing you that apart from himself, you can do nothing, not a single thing. And that, my friend, is where maturity begins. And perhaps today you also feel weak. The Lord, by his grace, has been tenderizing you, and you wonder what to do next. And what's amazing about the Psalms, if you've never read the Psalms, I commend them to you because this is where we go. We learn there that, that God is a refuge and help um, in times of distress. He, he is our helper. He's there. He's always there. He's there here. He's, he's there in your car when you're driving down. He's, he's there with you at church. He's there with you in, in, everywhere you go. And he is, he is here even now. And he sees and he knows you. He loves you, and through Christ you are as loved and as accepted by him as you can possibly be. And you see, men, we need each other. We do. And we have a great Christ for our need. And this is why we also have men-specific groups. Wednesday mornings, some of you are already in this. They meet from, Kent Kanoi leads that group. They meet from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30. Yes, he has coffee ready. I don't know if he has donuts or donuts. He's got donuts. Nice. And they're studying the, the book of Hebrews. So you got coffee to wake you up and something for, you know, your tummy. 
And this study goes from September until June. Um, I lead the Wednesday evening Bible study, so as I said, you know, uh, if you don't like this weekend, you might not want to come. But it's from 7 to 8.15, and we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. Don't leave this weekend on only having a spiritual high. And let me qualify that a little bit and say, it's great that you're feeling refreshed and that you're being encouraged and you're being cared for. But I need to also tell you that it's during these times that you need to make resolutions. You need to make commitments to the Lord and to others. So before you head back to this weekend, down to Boise, to your families, I want you to sit here as we wrap up. I want you to sit here for 15 to 20 minutes or however long you need and to, to think and to pray. If you don't have your journals, go, you can go get them. If you need to have another place to sit, you're welcome to do that. You don't have to stay in here if you don't want. Please use the journal that we've given you. Brian got those for you. They're a gift from the men's ministry to you. Write down your thoughts. Write down what the Lord is doing in your life. Because when you come back to that, you're going to remember, this is what God did this weekend in my life. This, or this is what God is doing in my life. And as you're doing that, I want to plead with you to write down a man you want to reach out to. He doesn't have to be in our church, but I'm talking about an accountability relationship. So to be clear, I'm talking about another Christian man. Although it's great that you also reach out to another man. That would be great. And be praying how the Lord might encourage you to be a blessing to your fellow brother in Christ, to use you to be a witness to another man. Share with him what you've learned this weekend. You have the notes, so go over them. And you can use those notes even as a tool to help you to, to talk to other men. James 1.26 tells us that we are not to be hearers only, but doers of his word by his grace. You see, as we've talked about this week, and we have a high standard for our lives, high standard. But we also have an utterly sufficient Savior to help us meet that standard. He helps us by his spirit to this. He helps those who are deadly serious about this, and I hope you are deadly serious about this because it's deadly serious business. Instead of just filing this away in your memory banks, saying, well, I've got this information, and then you likely forget about it, I plead with you to take this seriously. I urge you, I just encourage you to bring another man to an event, and now I'm about to say it's contradictory. I urge you not to bring another man to an event. I urge you to be the kind of man that other men want to become. Be the man that we've talked about here this weekend. And one thing I know is that if you're this man, other men will want that. They want that. They want to know what's different about you. No, so I know that if you're the man who loves Jesus more than yourselves, that loves the word of God and your wives, other men will be attracted to that immediately. They will want to know what's different about you. They will. And by extension, I know that God will draw them into this ministry because they cannot help but want to know what's different about this group of men. He just will. This weekend, you've been taught from the Word of God. You've had lots of great fellowship and time of together. But let me be clear. This is a battle. Out there in the world, you are taught from the Internet to TVs to movies and all other forms of media to be passive, to be apathetic, to be indifferent. And yet, you're saying... Dave, you want me to resist all that? That's right. I want you to fight against that. We are in a battle. I want you to be who you really are in Christ. And I want you to resolve to take 10 to 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to pray 
to make resolutions. I'm not asking you to rededicate your life. I'm asking you to be stand resolute before the Lord. When Jonathan Edwards, he was the greatest theologian America ever had. He was 19 years old, by the way. And he made a whole host of resolutions. 19 years old. And he lived his life by those resolutions. And so that's what I'm saying. I'm asking you to make resolutions before the Lord, to write those resolutions down. Because if you really are serious about changing, you're going to need some help. You're going to need help along this way. You're going to need to take a dose of humble pie. And that's hard for us as men. It's hard to say men, for men to say, I need help. But you know what? I've had to say that. I've had to ask for help. And that's how we grow. We ask for help. We ask for help from the Lord. We ask for help from our church. And you know what? We have pastors here, as I tried to make a passionate plea for last night. We have pastors here and people, elders, who care. We, we do this exceedingly well, very, very well. So if you need to talk, there's a safe, this is a safe place. There's lots of safe people to talk to. We would love to walk alongside of you. This is, uh, this is the hardest part of this, this weekend for me, this, this last part. When I sat in the office with Pastor Mike, even, I wept through this. I wrote this last part through tears. In fact, my wife said, are you okay? Hi. So I've been praying for you guys this weekend. In the month and a half that I've been preparing these messages, which is more than I've ever spent on any other message that I've ever worked on, I've been praying with tears in my eyes for you guys. In a month or so, I'll be moving with my wife to California. Most of you know that. And I'm starting, we're starting a new chapter in her life and ministry. And I love you guys. I'm going to miss you guys. You guys have met the world to me. From Pastor Greg, Pastor Mike, to the elders, to Brian Putman, to James Lott. So many people have meant so much to us. You've loved my wife. You've served my wife. You've shown God's grace to my wife and I. There's no doubt in my mind that I leave this church different, man. I came here. I was hurt. God used men like Pastor Mike. His tireless efforts to pray for me, to love me, to encourage me. God began to to melt my heart. And I pray the same for you today. I pray you'll begin to see people through the eyes of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll start to see people in every opportunity that the Lord gives you as an opportunity. A great mercy to spread the gospel one person at a time. You see, we, we need you. And that's not just a want. That's a, that's a need. We need you. And other men at our church need you. The men at your job need you. The men in our community need you. The men of our nation need you. Amen. And I'm pleading before our advocate and high priest for you, the men here. And I'm praying for this. I'm praying for this, this men's ministry. I have invested countless hours, thousands of hours. We didn't even have a men's evening Bible study. We didn't have a men's article. I'm praying the Lord bless this ministry. I'm praying that we would be a certain type of man, as we've talked about this weekend.
And I know that we're all at a different place in our walk with God today. But I want you to know that God knows that. That he sees that and that he loves you. And know that I also love you with the love of Christ. And that I'm going to continue to pray. Even though I'm moving to California, I am not going away. (laughs) You will not get rid of me that easily. I am a pain in the butt. So, you, I will, <laughs> with God's grace, I, I will poke and prod at you. And Pastor Mike and I and Brian and, and many of you will stay in contact. And I plan on coming back up here to annoy you, uh, to poke fun at you. I mean, come on, it's me. So, um, you, would, you would think there's something wrong with me if I didn't do that. Dave, let's have a talk over here. What's going on with you? Uh, so, so, let's just, uh, as we wrap up. I'm going to pray. I want you to sit here for 15, 20 minutes before you head out. If you need to go get your journals, please do. Please utilize that. Please write down your thoughts. Because you're going to, you're going to drive down two and a half hours down to Boise to your house. And we need to make commitments now. You need to make some friend, find another man to meet with. You need accountability. We can't do this on our own. We need help. Let's pray. Lord, you are all that we need. You are enough. You are enough for our inadequacy. You bore in our place and for our sin. You took upon yourself the shame that we deserve. You love us. Look, 